1: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. Today we're going deep on our boy Jared Adams, and I am your host, Tom Billou, and I'm here with none other than Agent Smith, Mr. Billu. Is this your first one back since I'm back. Italy? Yep. So our boy literally took over Italy with his amazing <laughs> wife, um, who has never made an appearance, I don't think, right? On the show? Yeah, like no. in any way, shape, or form, no, oh, like no behind Oh, no, she was
0: on the Simon Sinek uh, See, viral video. Yeah, there, she's front row for that. Yeah. All
1: right, so she's like yeah. royalty around here at this point. All right, good, because that would have been a shame. Amazing, amazing couple, and yep, they owned Europe, essentially, but most yeah, specifically we'll it Italy I think they'll be for okay. quite some time. Yeah,
0: it was a great trip. Nice. Uh, it was nice and relaxing. It was nice to get some perspective, take a little step away, get nice. a little... You know, get grounded again and it's it's good to be back. All right. I'm ready to be back.
1: Get well, going. certainly an an interesting juxtaposition to our boy Jarrett, who, for those of you who have not seen the episode, one, the reaction to this episode has been massive. Yep. And just to give you a little bit of background on what shook down, so Jarrett is 17 years old, decides he's going to lie to his mom about going to his friend's house, and instead goes to a nearby college town party. And as you do as you 17. do which i never did but i know a lot of people that did like sneak out and stuff yeah. like that i never did it's that common. other than ray proper but that's another story to all tell right, one day right. um, but he sneaks out goes to this party and then literal catastrophe strikes and i so god i really hope i don't get any of the details wrong i believe this is 100% accurate there were 3 of them him and two other friends the Two friends ended up having consensual sexual relations with a woman. He stayed in another room and played video games. And then the all three of them got brought up on charges for, it wasn't rape, I believe it was sexual assault. Mm. And um, he gets a public defender. And the public defender is essentially like, hey, they've got nothing on you. Like, there's no real evidence. Like, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And he ends up getting convicted and serves nearly 10 years in prison before he's finally exonerated. And he um, starts... Uh, this is like out of a movie. He has yeah. a cellmate who basically says, look, kid, you're not taking this seriously. Let me see your case. Um, I'm going to review it. Because this guy was like, you know, the only guilty man in Shawshank. I mean, it's so crazy, like how many... Somebody even wrote in and said, this reminded me of Shawshank. Yeah. it's exactly what yeah. it reminded me it reminded of. reminded me too. And um, says... Uh, you know, let me review your case, reviews this case, says there's nothing here. You need to stop going out into the yard and playing basketball and lifting weights. And you need to start going to the law library and figuring this out. Because I'm telling you, if you learn enough and take control of your own case, um, that you're going to be able to get out. And so he um, starts researching, finally gets the Wisconsin Innocence Project to take his case. I mean, keep in mind, this this takes almost 10 years, goes to the appeal process, finally wins his appeal, gets exonerated, gets out. And then the real difficulty begins of how you rebuild your life. And just just an astonishing story. And while he was in prison, he promised himself that he would become an attorney. And he does. And he gets out, goes to community college, transfers, gets a degree, gets a scholarship, goes to law school, graduates, and then begins clerking in the exact district that got him his appeal, that, that his appeal went through and was ultimately successful just incredible story yeah incredible story i love this story and a lot
0: of people have written in and expressed that uh it's been very inspiring to them and i just want to read a couple comments off of youtube so john d Gates says tom you have had some very incredible people on your show but this one is a whole other level in my opinion he sounds like a fictional character literally it's yeah it's so true we agree john jason mcphee uh says i love this guy's story and his perseverance sometimes you just have to put blinders up plug away and ignore what is around you one common thread i've noticed in most of your guests is that they work harder than everyone else and jarrett is no different
1: no question guy works hard that, that
0: that's something that we should talk about in this episode, just definitely. hard work Um, And Christine says wow speechless so many lessons learned nice and simple
1: nice and simple.
0: I want to start off with I'm really fascinated by stories like this Mm -hmm. where people are facing Truly insurmountable odds like the everything is against them and Somehow they don't give up. They don't throw in the towel and they persevere Um, My question
1: is (laughs)
0: How do we all become a little bit more like Jared Adams?
1: It's interesting. So whenever you talk to somebody who does something really heroic, the one thing you hear exactly none of them say is I'm a hero. Hmm. And there's this notion of when your back's against the wall, your character, your identity is going to shine. And In those moments, the people who rise up like Jarrett did or dive into the cold icy river to save somebody, they're already that person, right? Mm -hmm. And Jarrett actually said something in the episode. He said, you know, people think that I came out of college and like took a, or came out of prison and took like a smart pill or something because he was railing against like, everyone thought I really deserved to be in prison. They thought that I did it. And the truth is that a lot of incredible people end up in prison either because they're innocent or for something stupid. If we you know, really want to get political for a second, some of the drug laws I just think are abominable. Um, I'm not sure that was the right word to use. They're an abomination. I think that's yes, closer yes. to what I mean. <laughs> uh, and he really wanted to make the point that You know, prison almost took this all away from me. And I was really ready, willing, and rightfully should have been able to be a contributing member of society right away. And so I think what you're seeing is he's got an identity where he's just pissed and he is convinced that not only does he know that he's innocent, but that he can do something, and so now that his back's against the wall, and he gets this one piece of information, and it is utterly fascinating to me that it took that push, it took somebody to say, hey, like, stop acting like a jackass, stop treating this like, I forget what he calls summer camp, or training camp, or whatever, because he was just, like, taking all his time to play basketball in the right. flights, and the guy was like, you really need to take this seriously, but that he then clicked into gear, and I mean, you know my obsession with identity. And I I think this is one of the reasons that mythology resonates so strongly with me is it's Pictures of people with a certain identity, and because humans are so malleable, you can look at that person with that identity, the struggles, the way that they react, and then you begin to mold them onto yourself. And you know, you can every human being is is a blank slate. And what I love was when somebody, because you can say like, oh, take a kid that's about to grow up in Iran, but instead they grow up in America, or vice versa, and how fundamentally different they would be. Um, but I don't think that cuts through to people like to say this: somebody that you took from. Um, right when homo sapiens became the dominant species and we got rid of homo um, or sorry neanderthals um, like right at that moment you could bring that person to today and that they would do well do great in high school go to college and have no sense that their life could have been any different and when you realize that you could have somebody that grows up in that sort of very distant past and and would have been a hunter-gatherer and would have been wearing animal skins. And like it is the same sort of fundamental piece of machinery. So what you're doing is giving them a different identity. You're giving them a different perspective through which to view the world. And that's the power of any heroic story is to understand it comes down to what is your identity. So in that moment of crisis that, like and in prison, maybe a little bit like, cooler example because you've got the time to refine the edges of your identity that aren't yet right the little nudge and all of that where identity becomes really important to make sure that that shit is nailed down is when the bus full of school children crashes into the icy lake you know or the river or whatever right. what do you do in that moment there's no time it's like who you are comes to bear and you either do it or you don't do it how do you and, know if
0: you're ready if you how do you know that your identity is intact for that moment
1: Rad question. Um, I think life tests you all the time. And I think that um, virtually everybody knows that they're not quite ready. And How about this? I know I'm not quite ready. And Wait,
0: wait. I want to push on that. Because we were on a plane a a couple months ago. We were sitting in the emergency exit. And they asked the question, will you be able to assist in the case of an emergency? And uh, we all said yes. And then I turned to Tom and I said, uh, you you probably will just freak out and run up and down the aisles jokingly right because i know his identity and i know his personality and he said no i know exactly what i do i've i've prepared for this moment <laughs> <laughs> yes he he didn't take it as a joke so yeah. yeah i think you have it already intact so if you have it intact then you know
1: so but here here is the truth and it would be thank you for that by the way that's one of those like secret stories you never think is going to see the light of day um In my heart of hearts, I have to be honest and say that I do all of that because I know that there is that person in me that just wants to turn and run in the opposite direction. And I think so many people are they're embarrassed by that but i think that it the split brain patient right so you go in the corpus callosum connects the two hemispheres of the brain if you cut it you can get one half of the brain a has its own identity from the other half of the brain b one can be deeply religious and believe in god and the other is is aggressively an atheist, Hmm. same person. Yeah. By the way, you've just cut the communication path between one half of the brain to the other. So I'm, I'm hypercognizant that you will almost certainly always have the two voices in your head. So it becomes about training. And I remember when I was talking to Farah Sahabi and I was like, why do you train so much? And he said, because I want courage to be like, I want it to be a choice. Like I don't want to, um, I never want to feel like I can't be courageous because I'm not physically ready or whatever. And I think of that in the same way emotionally, like I'm training emotionally, mentally, spiritually for those moments of crisis. So that I rise to the occasion because I know that that voice is there. And I know that if I don't prepare for that, that there will be a moment of hesitation. Right. And it's like, one of the things that so you're my just life,
0: reinforcing it all the time, you
1: have to. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm most proud of is, um, so I like to my wife just made this huge, huge, um, promise like that. We, so we have different obligations to each other and one of my obligations is the physical protector, and so I remember the first time that our house alarm went off in the middle of the night, and I was out of the bed and running down the hall before I realized what was happening, because I just have so reinforced myself, you run towards the danger, you run towards the danger, you run towards the danger, that like when that moment happened, and I know it's not bullshit, because I wasn't like My conscious mind hadn't come online. Like I had ingrained it so deeply just through fucking repetition about who I am, how I respond, my willingness to die like for her, right? Just over and over and over and over. So that when, you know, look, and I'm super grateful that it ended up being like whatever. The window got blown by the wind. You know, it wasn't actually an intruder in the house. But it's now, it's happened, you know, four or five times that we've had the alarm go off at an unexpected moment. Um, and I'm just moving towards it before I even think about it. So it's just repetition. It's not that I don't have that voice. It's not that I consider myself a hero. I don't think I'm a stud. I just know to use techniques until they become ingrained in a part of your identity. So to bring it all back to my boy, Jarrett, I think that he already had that. I think that he was angry and that that gave him some energy, right? Be motivated by beauty and rage. And so he certainly had the rage, and he knew enough to take that man's piece of advice to let it fuel him to stay driven to keep pushing to keep changing his identity until it was just razor sharp razor sharp that he was going to get out yeah it's an amazing story isn't one of the phases of the hero
0: uh cycle where you meet the guide and they like get
1: you yeah like, the give you the, the tools. thousand faces idea yeah. Yeah. yeah so um you resist the call Right, Right. that's a big part of it. You meet the wise old sage, Mm -hmm. um, who gives you that one piece of information that you need, which almost is always about identity. Um, Yeah, and 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 then they're off on the journey to actually become it. I mean, literally, his life is the hero's journey. Yeah, so it's pretty incredible.
0: Um, One of the things he says in the episode is, uh, uh, to the effect of walls: the walls of a prison cannot take away your mental freedom. Um, and I've heard other people in similar situations, whether they're prisoners of war or in prison talk about this as well.
1: Are you thinking of Mandela right now?
0: Yeah I think yeah Mandela is a great example yeah. Um, do you think there's ever a time or a case when the mind cannot overcome
1: its surroundings? Yeah for sure of course of course, of course. Read um, I don't think that it is universally true okay. that the mind, that there's like a breaking point for the mind death, right? I mean, so yeah. at that point, that's really the only thing. And I think that there are some people whose identity is so strong that they would, I mean, it's like that moment in Braveheart, right? You can take my life, but you can't take my freedom. Yeah, And that gave me the chills. Like who doesn't want to like have conviction of that level? And I think that that's one of the reasons that that movie did so well. And for those of you that are old enough to remember, like, it crushed at the box office and it was, like, a big cultural thing when it happened. And um, it's, you know, in some ways a love story and in other ways just about identity and who you are and, and what you're willing to die for, but, like, for real. And I think those stories really resonate with us because yeah, we all want to know that our identity transcends like anything else. That There's a great quote. And I'm going to paraphrase it. and Unfortunately, I don't remember who said it, but one day this will make it into an impact quote because every time I'm looking to like group my quotes, I come across this one and I think one day. And it goes, should I ever be given the choice to betray my country or betray my friend? I hope I have the courage to betray my country. Fuck. Wow. Right? Yeah. Because that's the one for the many. It's like, if your conviction is so strong that you would be willing to face down in, you know, in our case, 350 million people in service of that one person, that's that like that's yeah. identity at play, right? Yeah. So um yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, like if you practice it and if you rehearse it and if you say, this is who I am, and then act in accordance in a thousand small ways. um, I think it all builds together. But the ultimate answer to your question is from the book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, who's in five different concentration camps. And he said that they, as a group, could predict within 72 hours when somebody was going to die. Not obviously at the hands of violence, but that once somebody gave up and they no longer had an understanding, which is where the title of the book comes from, they no longer had an understanding of what the meaning of their suffering was. So if you believed, I'm going to endure all of this so that I can help people when I get out. I'm going to endure all this to make sure that I can protect my children. I'm going to endure all this, whatever. right? So you had some reason. You knew what it was. It was crystal clear. Then you could literally survive anything. And, and there's a great quote by Nietzsche. He said, a man who understands his why can survive almost anyhow. And that's that thing you need that thing you need to know why you're doing it you need to know why you're suffering um you know so like the airplane thing that came from when 9-11 happened dude and i heard the story of the people that broke into the cockpit because they knew they had heard about the other two planes right and part of me knew that every hijacking up to that point, they wanted something, they wanted a ransom or whatever. So I wouldn't have risked everybody's life on the plane to stop them, because you would think that the safer, more strategic play is to wait it out. But then once the people on the third plane heard that the other two had crashed and that this was a hijacking and they were essentially turning that plane into a big bomb, then they got together and they rushed. And so I was like, I will be like the people on the third. I will be like the people on the third. And I just kept telling myself like, if I die, and I've said this on the show, but I mean, this happened back in what, 2000? 2001? 2001. 2001. So starting from that day, I just started saying like, if I were to die in um, you know, a, a terrorist airplane crash, know that I went with a fucking fistful of human flesh in my hands because I, I may not be able to be victorious, though that is what I rehearse. I knew that I just... I wouldn't go down sitting in my seat and you just yeah. rehearse it, rehearse it, rehearse it. Love it.
0: All right. We got a question from Facebook live. This is from Laura DeFrain, our good our, friend, our good friend, Laura, Laura. uh, practical usability questions. How can people with temper slash anger issues retrain themselves to redirect that energy in a healthy or at least less destructive way? I'm asking for specific actions one can take to proactively prepare you for those blinding rage moments. Hulk out moments before they occur.
1: Yeah. So, all right. Uh, you're looking specifically for strategies. So here it is. First of all, you need to start meditating every day. The reason that you're going to be meditating every day is you're going to learn how to switch from the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight, the rage, the anger, the aggression to the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest, calming yourself, slowing your mind down, slowing your heart rate, slowing your breathing. You need to be able to do it consciously and you will be Absolutely startled by how much you can change your brain chemistry simply by breathing from your diaphragm. Okay, so in through the nose with a huge like down in your gut. You wanna be using your diaphragm to push your gut out. She asked for tactical. Yeah. Okay, so here it is. So you're gonna be doing it at the diaphragm, breathe, I find, rapidly out through the mouth. So you're literally just letting it out, out through the mouth will be hugely calming and repeating that cycle. So that when you feel the rage kick in, literally, and this goes to habit loops, one of the most important things you need in a habit loop is a trigger. So here's the great news. The rage in and of itself is the trigger to begin the habit loop. So when you feel the rage, immediately click into your loop for calming yourself down, switching over to rest and digest, getting into the parasympathetic nervous system. Let the rage trigger that breath. And at that point, it just has to be more important to you to be a person who can take control of their emotions than it is for you to act on that emotion. So what you have to remember is in the moment where you're raging, you believe you're completely justified to feel that way. So that's what you have to overcome. You have to say, this emotion is entirely valid. Awesome, fantastic. But it does not lead you where you want to go because you're not asking me how to harness your rage and do something meaningful with it. That would be a totally different question. It's obviously bitten you in the ass enough and escalated and gotten out of control that in that moment you have to know that regardless of whether or not it's valid, we'll just assume it is, that you have every right To be that angry. You've decided in your sober moment that that is not where you want to go. So you're gonna use that rage as the trigger to kick in the habit loop of calming yourself and getting into the parasympathetic nervous system. The easiest way is meditation, which you will have practiced day in and day out on the other side. The other one, of course, is identity, that you're gonna be the person that does that. It will start, you're still gonna get pissed and you won't remember to start breathing for a few minutes. Then you're gonna get that down to a minute and then you're gonna get it down to 30 seconds and then you're gonna get it to the point where it doesn't even cross your face and people don't realize that you snapped into a rage. All of a sudden they're just gonna be like, Why are you breathing funny? And so, and that's literally how it works. It starts on a long enough timeline, and then you just, through identity and practice, you keep shortening that. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein, and my go to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com impacttheory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, hel com slash impacttheory. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. There you
0: have it, Laura. Yeah. It is. All right, this question, uh, speaking of beauty and rage. Yep. So one of the things that s- helped sustain Jarrett through prison was um, his love and dedication to his mother and uh, his family. And that was just a beautiful part of the story, I thought. So it got me thinking about muses. And I wanted to see whether that's something you identify with, the sort of finding a muse for a project or for a choice in life that's going to help inspire you to get you through the hard times.
1: Yeah, in in profound ways. So I've talked about this before, so forgive me if you've heard it. Um, I don't like the gym. We all know that. When I first started going to the gym, I needed something. And that thing was, I imagined my wife being assaulted and me being too weak to stop them. And that made me lift like a demon. Yeah. And that like, that really pushed me. And so I used to need her in the gym with me and I would literally stare at her and she would like catch me looking at her with like the most amount of rage and evil expression on my face and be like, (laughs) what is happening? And so obviously I explained it to her. And so every now and then we would just lock eyes and I'd be, you know, like fucking just fiery intensity, imagining like ripping people apart, trying to get to my wife and that I needed to get stronger. and I needed to be able to lift this weight in order to do it. And so she's always been a, a huge muse for me. And then a lot of my success, I, literally everything in my life is uh, a veiled um, disguise to impress my wife. Like I'm literally not trying to impress anybody else, but I'm really Trying to impress that woman, yeah. um, so accumulation of wealth. I probably would have lost steam for it long before I achieved it if I didn't really want to do that for her, and I felt like I had made that promise to her. Um, so, but at the same time, look, and this isn't romantic, but I'm. If something, God forbid, were to happen to my wife, I recognize that it's a technique. I would not fall apart. I'm not the guy that you know commits suicide or dies of a sudden heart attack. If my wife passes away, and I would not want her to do that either, I know you're watching right now. Um, you know, It really comes down to understanding that, that it is powerful to have a muse, but not to lose yourself to the muse. Awesome. Speaking of the amazing Lisa Bilyeu,
0: um, we have the new show Relationship Theory with Tom and Lisa. We do. Talking about the relationship, I encourage you to check it out. A lot of people have been writing in, and they love it.
1: Yeah, it's like getting, it's become some of our highest um, watched, certainly, and most commented on uh, live content. So check it out. We're having a great time. Yeah. Um, yeah, love it. Relationship theory. Cool. There it is. Here's a question from Saad
0: Masood. Our boy. Tom, Saad. have you ever been done wrong in life to the extent where you had the burn everything down moment?
1: No, I've been done wrong in life to the point where I think most people would have burned everything down. And I think most people would. Uh, how about this? Most people advised me to burn everything wow. down. Um, identity is is your great protector. Did
0: you think about it just for a slight second? No. You didn't even entertain it. Nope. Nope. And it's other people so around you man. wanted I'm literally sure like sizing. What are you to, yeah.
1: And here's the thing. Um later as a release valve, I'll let myself go like it would be fun. I'm never going to, but it would be fun right um, But even in the like in the sort of mechanations of the moment, it's happening whoa, like this is actually happening. I can't believe this shit is for real. Uh, in those moments I'm at my most sober. like I'm at my best right then and there mm. because like all the habit loop triggers and everything just come to play. Uh, identity kicks in, I'm very fucking strategic, and this drives my wife crazy. All I can see in any moment is the strategy. So I think that um, that comes from a lot of practice, that comes from just sort of my natural personality as well, like I'm so goal-oriented, like I know ultimately where I'm trying to get, and it's pretty rare that I'm lost in like this moment, and part of the reason that I wanted to detail the three-phase process that we have as impact theory is, I, I'm on like phase five. I'm already thinking about what that looks like, but everyone is going to be lost and confused. If I don't talk about phase one, like if they don't understand, like, because my tactics are all about phase one, right. right? They're all congruent with where we need to be down there. So like one thing I am psychotically relationship or sorry, reputation protective. So, um, we've had big opportunities where people have come and wanted us to take parts of their company. And one of the companies shall remain nameless, but it was like, uh, We'll say it's a a supplement, and I just I just couldn't get behind it. And maybe it's amazing. I'm not saying that it wasn't. I'm sure. just saying I'm so reputation protective. I don't know enough about it to know if it's real. But they're going to make a lot of fucking money, yeah. and that lot of money could have been partly us. And but I just thought, man, to make even millions of dollars and sell out like your reputation is crazy. That's so short sighted. Yeah. So. Um, all of that stuff is, is very important. So yes, I am very strategic. I have never in the moment thought, Hey, I'm going to burn this down. So, um, be goal oriented, do and believe that which moves you towards your goals, period. Never deviate from that. You just can't. Awesome. All right. Here's another question
0: from Facebook live. This is from Chris, uh, boot. I believe my question is that if you've trained your mind to run towards danger without consciously thinking about it first. Are you ever worried that you're going to unconsciously run towards danger in a way that might put you or your wife in harm's way? And then there's a for example. For example, employees are told to not pursue a thief because their life is worth more than whatever item is being sold in their business. But there was just a news story the other day about a Home Depot employee chasing someone who stole a $100 toolbox and getting hit by a car and being put in the hospital.
1: Yeah, Um, for me, yeah, 100%. And I could die in a really stupid fashion no question, but honestly, I would rather that, I would rather that than not have trained myself, and look, I'm not, I'm not trying for that, I, my brain kicks in, you know, let's call it 10 steps later, it's like, and then I would start assessing, okay, wait a second, like, what is the real strategy here, Um, so, you know, I mean, look, I would go to great lengths to avoid doing something stupid, that doesn't help anybody, but which would I rather, die because I took action, or live, you know, I, I hate to say it, but the Emilio Zapata, I would rather die on my feet than live on my knees. Um, so that, that's just the truth. But it's taking action for the right
0: reasons, right? So knowing yeah. your why, like, what are you going to act on? Yeah, I, for sure. I, you're so not going to act on a, a stolen tool from Home Depot, I'm Correct. assuming.
1: So let's say, for instance, I wake up and um, there's someone in my house and they're like, Homie, I'm just going to take this uh, whatever. Uh, Jesus, we don't even have much expensive shit. in My painting, which I love, but really wouldn't be that expensive. Anyway, they're taking something that I care about. Um, and they've got a gun. I'm, yeah, as long as you're leaving, just get the fuck out. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm not chasing that person down the street or anything. But if they had my dog, yeah, I'm fucking chasing him. Like, I'm finding a way. I don't, gun or not. Because I literally, those are like our children, right? right. So at that point, like... Yeah, I'm going to do everything in my power to avoid getting killed. But, uh, yeah, I'm not letting them disappear under any circumstance. Nice. All right, I just want
0: to remind everyone we're on Facebook Live. We are talking about Jarrett Adams, the amazing, incredible story. You have to watch this one if you haven't already or listen to it, whatever you prefer. Um, It's an incredible story about him overcoming a wrongful conviction going through prison for how many years, nine years, 10 yeah. years?
1: Yeah, it was just under 10, I think.
0: And then getting out and not being, an- not being angry enough to just sit around and do nothing or feel sorry for himself, but then taking another 10 years to become a lawyer <clears throat> to go and try to work in service of the people who are also being ground up in this system. So he's taking on large systemic problems. Um, problems that have origins going back hundreds of years and are deeply entrenched I'm just thinking about he's going to need a lot of help right so what I wonder what do you think is the best way for him and I, I think this could be a teaching moment for other people in our community to build a support network to get his message out there or to you know I mean he's trying to take on the criminal justice system
1: that's it's huge. Are you asking me no bullshit? What would it take for Jarrett to be successful in his mission? Because it's actually I'm shoehorning you into that. that's not what you're asking. I'm not asking that. But if
0: that's what you want to take on, then let's. Well, let's talk about so that.
1: let me really answer what you're asking. How does he build a network of support?
0: I want it to be universal enough so that people can also take something away from this. But let's let's do both of those. So how does he build? A, how do people build a support network?
1: Well, there's no way to, yeah, there's no way to do that fast. So, uh, I'll, I'll tell a story that I've told before. Um, there was a guy back at, uh, when we were doing awareness technologies and we were trying to, I can't remember if we we're trying to get a loan. Anyway, we we're trying to raise money for something. I don't remember what. And he was the one like out of nowhere, was like, oh, I know a guy at, you know, bank of America or something. And, um, he'll get us really good rates because he knows me and all this. And I thought, how the hell do you know a guy at Bank of America that, like that's so impossibly random? And he was, I don't know, he's like 15 years older than me or something. And he goes, Tom, when you're my age, you'll have a portfolio or a Rolodex, I think is what he said, which don't exist anymore, a Rolodex of, of people like that as well. And I thought, God, is that really true? And of course it is. And now it's like when I look at all the people in my network and people that I've just over the years, like, done things for gone out of my way to help never expecting anything in return um and you guys know me i think in movie terms so whenever um you really like go out of your way to do something crazy for somebody and everyone is like why are you doing that i always do my best godfather impression (laughs) it's like one day i'm gonna come to you and i'm gonna need something i may never come to you but if i do you won't refuse me and I want to be in that position with as many people as humanly possible to have done them a good turn, to not be looking for anything, Um, make friends before you need them. That's the phrase that I repeat to myself all the time. So Jarrett needs to do that for a very long time. And when he looks back 15, 20 years from now, he will be a powerhouse. That's how you build a network. Do really amazing shit for a whole lot of people with absolutely zero expectation of anything in return, knowing that 90% of them, you probably never will call on, and you will have just done cool stuff and you'll feel good about it. Um, but 10% percent you will be like, Oh my God, this is amazing because I did them a good turn two or three years ago. And now I've got something that, you know, I always try to make it mutually beneficial either way. And you know, so here's a way that they can help me and do something for themselves. And, um, that's how that'll happen.
0: Great. All right. right, Let's go to, let's go to the bigger question. how do you think Jarrett tackles his problem?
1: So, all right, this is a a moment of crisis where I guess I have to um, stay true to what I've said I will do, and I will teach people to um, take our business model and run with it. Um, So here's exactly what we're going to pitch Jarrett on doing. Hey, Jarrett, sell us your life story. Um, We want to turn you into a comic book, and... In the meantime, you also need to be creating a social presence and you need to be doing live content like we're doing now. Uh, This is one of those. My mother always used to say, don't do what I do, do what I say. Now I'll tell you guys, do what I say and what I do because they're completely in lock fucking step. So why do we do all this live content to build a community? Why do we build a community? Because one day I'm going to need you. Um, why am I going to need you? Because I'm trying to affect global change. How do you affect global change if you don't have a huge amount of people behind you to make enough noise to reverberate? One of the greatest currencies that we all have as human beings right now is the ability to direct attention. The whole thing about we're the neck, you guys are the head, like all of it. So I'm not doing that because oh, I have some like, deep interest in it. I have a deep interest in it because it is the way to actually affect global change. So if you want to be affecting a system a system which is going to resist you at every fucking step of the way, you've got to be a draw. You've got to be a reason that media pay attention. You've got to be able, it's why celebrity works. So he's going to need to build celebrity. He needs to let us uh, tell his story, which will get him attention. He will become, he will be perceived as more important. If you haven't already read the book, Hitmakers, read it. They talk about this notion. Oh, it's not Hitmakers. What is it? What was the book I read right before Hitmakers? Oh, I did a book review on it already. So go back and look at my book reviews. I will get the title soon. Anyway, he talks about how merely making something um, more visibly present, that it begins to take on causality. I don't want to derail us on that. It's fucking interesting. Read the book. Uh, It's the one right before Hitmakers. Um, And he needs to make himself visible so that people apply to him a sense of causality that he seems important. Uh, And in doing that through um, sort of think of it as entourage, right? Where it's, it's fictional because you need that to keep the story deep, but it's also close enough to his real life that it, really packs a punch and it will be tied to him and whenever you know somebody uh, new arc in the comic comes out and it's really interesting that people go back and talk to him and so that he's staying in the public eye Mm -hmm. Um, and then in doing that then you want to start attracting that um, group of people that you've done all this cool stuff for so now you've got this big ball rolling of people that don't know you but they think there's causality to you you seem more important you're larger than life you've got this story people can relate to there's emotion they're tied to it they feel like they know him that's a big thing so that when he says It's all building towards this moment. You ready, Agent Smith? I'm ready. When he says, we're marching today, and we're going to show up on the steps of Congress, or we're going to um, show up at a prison, or we're going to, you really ready? Create our own prison. You weren't ready for that one, were you? Because this is how I think it actually needs to be done. I can't believe that turning prisons into a for-profit ruined them. But it seems like it has. Yeah. But a for profit prison run by an entrepreneur that has good intentions and will hold themselves to the statistic of how many people come back, if they did that, then I think you could really make fucking change. Because the way to make change, everybody lean in closer to your computer right now. The real way to make change is not to fight the old, okay? Give up on it. It is to spend all of your time and attention on a building the new. And that's what I think he would have to do. He will have to build the new. And if all he learns in becoming an attorney is to fight the old, he's gonna lose. And the shot's already been fired that's gonna kill him and he just doesn't yet realize he's bleeding to death. And nothing would break my heart more, but the no bullshit answer to what he needs to do is he needs to get the world worked up about the problem and then present the solution. And the solution, for me, is very much change a generation of entrepreneurs in the way that they think so they stop holding themselves to the metrics of just profitability, and they start asking themselves, have we reduced recidivism or not? And if we have, then we're winning, and we keep doing it. We hold ourselves to that standard, and we keep pushing, and we set public goals, and the public rallies around us, and we stop this ridiculous public shaming of profits which is fucking crazy but we also stop the profits at any cost and who gives a shit as long as we're making money that's equally absurd and we leverage it for its real power which is it lets you do more and when the first one wins if you're profitable then you can do the next one but if you're beholden to the public because you're a 501c3 and you're coming to the world with your handout it's also never going to work so it has to be something where You're really delivering good to the people that come into your system, and you're delivering good to the world, doing something amazing with the profits. Yeah, and I mean, look, the problem is way bigger, and I have not spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I'm sure there's a thousand holes in my argument, so just this is not the problem I have set out to solve. Sure. But in the amount of time that I've thought about it because of this story, that's what I came up with. I think Jared Adams should do all the things I just outlined. I won't retread. There we go.
0: All right. Uh, question from our Facebook Live audience This is from Jermaine. He says, Jarrett Adams had a somewhat similar story to Malcolm X, being locked up for 10 years and using it to build his mind like most people haven't. How can you transform like that when it is so easy? How can you sorry? How can you transform like that when comfort is so easy in a first world country?
1: Oh, without having to go to prison. Yeah. Is that the sort of underlying yeah. question? Yeah. Um, wow, that's interesting. So this is the, it's the question of success, right? Success makes you soft. And once you've had it, it's like, how do you stay hungry and keep pushing? And so being born to a first world country is essentially like a level of success in and of itself. And For me, it comes down to knowing what you're trying to accomplish and being excited about the pursuit of that thing. When you have a compelling future, this is Tony Robbins, when you have a compelling future, you will move towards it. People are not lazy. They're simply not excited about what they see in their future. So to me, once you believe that you can do anything you set your mind to, how you spend your time becomes a spiritual consideration. So then it's like, what makes me feel alive? Like, I want that feeling all the time. And that is like... Impact theory is my answer to that question. What makes me feel most alive? Media, stories, connecting with people, building community. Like those are the things that I enjoy no matter what. And I would enjoy doing even if we were failing. So find that thing and you build it. It's like love. It's a process, right? Love has elements of trust in it. You don't build trust instantly. You can't. Um, It has elements of reciprocation. That doesn't happen immediately. It takes time. So once people can understand, oh, yeah, like, Passion is like love. It's a process you go through. You meet somebody starts his interest. You get to know them better. It grows. You may be infatuated at first, but maybe it doesn't last. Or you may be infatuated at first, but it doesn't have that deep, sort of meaningful, understood, trust, reciprocation, shared experience, all of that that comes with maturing love. That is passion. So starts his interest, becomes a passion through the gaining of mastery, and... That's how you get to that. But you have to be excited about something. Um, it isn't just like you don't have to go to prison. It doesn't have to be pain and suffering. Um, you know, I mean, those are tales that, that resonate because I think that there are examples where somebody, Malcolm X or um, Nelson Mandela or Jared Adams, they found something that they believed in so much and they were excited by so much that they were willing to fight through even that, which for most people, short of death, is sort of the worst thing they can imagine. Um, but at the end of the day, it was they were excited about something. Jarrett wanted to prove people wrong. He wanted to show people that he really was innocent. I think that was a huge driver. And then I think part of becoming a lawyer in the beginning was he was angry. And he wanted to like, how do I go and smash this system? And that was his answer to that. And I think he'll realize over time that that's a way to help people in a very non-scalable format to go in and be a part of innocence projects and get people out one by one. Somebody has to do it and maybe that's just so beautiful to him that he wants to do it and I get it. Um, But at the end of the day, like I just can't break out of my own box. Scale is all I care about. So I am now forcing my own views on this poor man. uh, And it it may, somebody has to do the one-on-ones and maybe that's just his true calling. I mean, he he came on the show so obviously he has some idea about
0: getting his message out there and scaling. Right. Agreed. So, um, this is a question from Ibrahim El Galad. He says, Jarrett's relentless attitude where retreat isn't an option is a mentality. Many of us can learn from Tom, can you share any experience you or Lisa had with an I'll outwork you and never give up mentality?
1: Um, Well, Quest was certainly that. Um, I've done it clumsily my entire life. Uh, So not my entire life, but once I went to college. So getting into film school was that for me. Uh, It was literally I didn't get accepted to film school. And when I went and asked one of the guys in the admissions committee what I needed to do, he said, get good grades because I had really bad SAT scores. And he said, yeah, if you've been in college for two years and you get good grades, I don't even look at your SAT scores because SAT is just meant to tell me whether you're going to do well in college or not. So if you're actually doing well, then what do I care? Um, so I locked myself in a dorm room for two years and got good grades, um, got in film school. Uh, when we started Quest, it was it was all guts. It, that was it. We were running a whole nother company by day and at night. We were um, working on the bars and it was exhausting and we had no idea if it was going to work and Um, you know, and, and the identity kicks in of, um, that, and that's who I am and that's what I'm going to do. Um, and then full disclosure, uh, there's one story I'm not going to tell you and it's my favorite story. Uh, one day, maybe five years from now, I'll tell that story. Um, but yeah, that, that is, that is my identity. I'm not smarter than the next person, but dear God, good luck keeping up. Awesome.
0: Um, So a lot of people have written in to say that this story has inspired them. And, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and say that this is probably one of our most inspiring guests to Mm -hmm. to come on the show, just their, you know, their tale. How do you, how do people not let this just be merely inspirational? What should they do
1: after this? episode? Take immediate and grand action, take immediate and grand action. So, um, somebody wrote in the comments on YouTube, what's my excuse. And Let that change you right now today. And watching these shows, I really want to be like reading a good book. And before, I don't do it anymore, so I don't want to lie, but I used to do this before I read every book. And I would say to myself, let this book change you. Like actually say it. Like do it ceremonially. I think really people Mm. don't give enough credence to... to ritual, so let's say that you have a physical book. Uh, Every time before you're about to read that book, sit there at the desk with the book closed in front of you, look at it, and just say something like this. You're gonna feel stupid doing it, but it will get into your subconscious. I'm telling you, just do it. Um, Dear author, I'm grateful for you to take the time to write your wisdom into this book. I am going to receive it with an open mind, and I am open to letting this book change me fundamentally and forever. Amen, and then open it and and go, but go with that open mind, go with no preconceived notions, don't push back with your own ideology, actually be open to being changed fundamentally and forever by the information in that book. And if it's useful and it moves you towards your goals, like why you wouldn't do that is just crazy to me. So do the same thing before you watch any episode Uh, of impact theory, say, hey, I'm grateful to this person for coming on the show, for sharing their wisdom. Uh, I'm going to meet it with an open mind, and I will be, I open myself to being changed uh, fundamentally and forever by the information that this person gives me, and then watch the episode, and then at the end of it, take immediate action. So if your feeling is, what's my excuse now, that day when something comes up and you have 30 legitimate excuses for not doing it, do it anyway, if it moves you towards your goals, right? Like that's, that's the barometer. You're not going to do everything, but you're going to do and believe the things that move you towards your goal, simple as. And so the rubber meets the road in the weirdest, smallest little ways. Um, God, let me give you an example. What just happened recently? Oh, my wife is really weird uh, about, like, um, we were running out of one of the um, uh, products that we routinely eat, and we both like it. But for my wife, from a stomach perspective, like, she needs it if you will like she has to eat more like that than I do and I can be a little more frivolous Um, and most importantly my identity is if we're if we let's say we're both cold well I'm going to give her my jacket so because to me that is like fundamentally one of the roles that I play is if if it can be made such that only one of us has to suffer I should be the one suffering so give her my jacket Um, give her the food item if one of us has to go hungry it should always be me like that's important to me. And so and and for her being a good wife. So like even on days where it's crazy hectic and everyone's stressed out, like she'll try to make me breakfast or make me lunch or something. And it's like because those are the the roles and identity. So those are the weird little ways that your newfound uh, ideology, your newfound piece of identity, you're going to be tested. Really do it. Like, I hate being cold. I think we all know that. But I know in that moment, my identity of being the protector is being tested. So I better man up, give her my jacket, and just suck it up and be quiet. Um, Because in those moments, I earn credibility with myself. So anyway, massive action. Immediately, that day. So do you think that's the big takeaway
0: from this episode is you don't have any
1: excuses? That's the big takeaway from every episode. And if this one doesn't drive it home, then nothing's going to. But yes. Good
0: stuff. Um, Joe Cross asked, what do you think were the absolute critical elements for Jarrett to change his mindset? Seems like he couldn't have done it on his own.
1: Um, man, I, I don't know him well enough, so I'll give you a general answer. So obviously, the guy made him believe that he could do something. That's step one. So you have to believe that you're able to do it. Um, then he had to have the belief that he would see it through so that when he went to um, the law library in the prison that I'm sure the first day was overwhelming. He's 17, maybe he's 18 by the time he starts taking it seriously, but he's still a teenager. And so I've got to imagine law books are just dizzying. So he's got to believe that he's going to keep going. He has to actually show up and keep doing it. Um, he's got to be able to handle the fear and the stress of, you know, being disappointed. And a lot of people stop at that. They don't want to be disappointed. So they don't even try because they don't want to have to survive that disappointment. So he would have to be able to look that in the face or like Layla Ali, who you guys will see that episode in a few weeks. Um, just her thing is, no, no, no. I know I'm going to win. Like I know it to the core of my being. Um, so one of those two things is, is going to serve you either that the loss is just something you'll learn from. You get back up and you do it, or just a blinding belief that you're never going to lose. Um, to keep pushing, and then having a why. So knowing, you know, what he wanted to prove people wrong that he didn't do it, that he could be uh, contributing to society, and that he wanted to give back to his mother, who he felt like was, you know, he kept saying like he was putting marks in her brow because she was so unhappy coming to visit him and so worried. Um, you know, all of those things I think are what anybody would have to do to their mindset. And I think he would agree that that's exactly what he had to do, but we didn't go that deep into that stuff, the specifics in the episode. Uh, one more
0: question from Saad Masood. He says, I checked Jared's website. His co-founder also had a similar story of wrongful conviction in his past. Finding similar storylines in life can be huge earlier on in one's resurgence, but it doesn't translate into success. How does one go about identifying the right person or team to partner with on a journey that is so
1: profoundly unique? Read John Wooden. Oh. Yeah, read John Wooden. Um, He talked about, so he's the legendary uh, UCLA basketball coach, and he said, I don't look for the best players. I look to make the best team. So people have to get along. They have to play different positions. They need different strengths. Um, if you are partnered up with somebody and you both have the same opinion all the time, then one of you is useless. So you really do need somebody that has a different skill set than you do. Um, otherwise, you guys are just repeating the same thing. And here's what, what really, really um, makes me laugh and breaks my heart all at the same time. When somebody doesn't see the world the same way that you do, your first instinct is to think they're stupid. Because that assails you. And either they have to be stupid or you have to be stupid. That's where most people start. But the truth is you need to relish the difference of opinion. You need to relish that you're each good at different things. And that was a real struggle for me in the beginning with Lisa. I wanted to be good at everything. And I felt like as a man, I should be better than my wife at everything. And I didn't want to lose to a girl. And literally all those stupid things. And like, for instance, when I, um, well, let me back up and say a more profound one. When we first started Quest... And I saw her being really, really good at logistics and getting toughened and becoming um, very just confident and sure of herself. And that was hard for me. And I realized, whoa, like I I'm not having her do this job because I don't have time for it. She's now doing that job because she's better at it. And. Like that was tough because it was like such a, a like typically masculine thing. It was logistics, it was processes, all the things that guys are supposed to be good at, and I'm actually terrible at. And my wife's amazing at like all of that stuff. She's just way better. And so, really realizing that, like, who in their right mind would want to be worse than somebody at everything, especially the person that they're closest to in the world? It's literally constant inferiority. Like nobody would. Want, nobody wants that. Zero people. In the sum total of the universe, there are zero people who want to be worse at everything than the person that is their life partner, okay? So let's all embrace that. And so finally realizing, oh, yeah, like, because I thought she would want me to be better, that she would think I was less of a man if I weren't better than her at everything. And then I realized that's just ridiculous. Uh, So that was a huge breakthrough. And then I remember when I first invited her to play video games with me, I remember thinking, Now, be careful, because she'll be better at this than you. (laughs) Because my wife is able to assimilate visual information so rapidly. Like, do you know those, um, oh, God, this really winds me up. You know those, like, what's different between this picture and this picture? Like, 99.99% of the things are the same, but there's, like, six things that are different. Right. She'll look at it and be like, one, two, three, four, five, six. And I'm like, what? Literally, like, I am so slow at figuring that out. That uh, yeah, that's one of those things she's just infinitely better at. She's better at video games than me. So you just you have to. She's better money. now at video games than you. Oh yeah, the game that I brought her. She's just now starting to like. She'll beat me consistently. That's what, I, that's what I heard. And so I told her. I said, "Don't you ever throw a match because like she wants. She likes to see me happy. But she was like, "Oh no, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> so yeah, she's uh, she's getting very good. Awesome. Very good. I forget what the original question was, but hopefully that got us close. It was about finding the right partner. Oh yeah. So yeah. you want somebody who's better at certain things than you are. That's yeah. the complementary. Yeah, complimentary talents. skill sets yeah. for sure. Um, I think that wraps it up for us wow. today. Wow. All right. Well then, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, these are absolutely amazing, and I really, really, to the core of my being, hope that you guys feel this community the way that we feel this community. And I know right now I'm speaking to a small subset of you who are totally engaged, who I hope are really getting something from each other because the amount of engagement that we feel from that subset of you is so amazing. And we talk about you guys all the time. There are, I keep swagging it at Dunbar's number, but there is a subset of you. We know your names. We know who you are. We know what you're up to. Like, it, it is so incredible and so fulfilling to have you guys be a part of this community. We just cannot thank you enough. To everybody that has ever shared this content, liked it, commented, reviewed anything, we read every single comment. We are so grateful for all of it. When the... Um, feedback is critical, but trying to actually help us improve, we're insanely grateful for that as well. So guys, please keep it coming. And it allows us to find amazing people like Jared Adams and become the destination of choice. Um, we're getting now to the point where people understand, um, our style. They understand what we're trying to bring to the world. And you can't imagine The kinds of guests now that we're able to reach out to um, and get on the show, we're super, super excited to bring these guys to you. And it is because of you. I want to make that very, very clear. Whenever we ask for somebody to come on one of our shows, the very first thing they do is look at the size and amount of engagement from the community. That's it. And so you guys helping us grow, you guys being so engaged and so involved is everything. It's how we're able to build this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, With that, I will wrap. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. That's how we get those numbers up. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.